Mad Adventures, and welcome to the Audio Armory, an exploration of weaponry through the ages. I am your local bard, Emily Cardamus. And I am your local blacksmith, Liz Belts. Uh, we're both not doing great on the health front this week, everybody, so uh, if it sounds like we're dying, it's because we kind of are. I'm a little stuffed up, I have a cough, um, hopefully it won't come across too much on the episode, and Liz is, like, right on the cusp of death. Yay for the plague. <laughs> um, it's winter here, uh, both in the real world and in our fantasy forge place village that we live in, uh, which just means sickness is abound. So it's just a fun times all around. But that doesn't mean we don't have some good information to impart this week. Right, Liz? Oh, uh, yeah. Today, this episode is all for the weeaboo trash. Yeah, what's up? Today, we're going to be talking about katanas. Get your get your animus and mangoes ready, everybody, because this is what we're talking about this week. Now, you might be saying, Liz, I'm weeaboo trash, and I don't need to hear about katanas, because you know everything, because you watch your animus and read your mangoes. Well, you know what? No. No. It's all it's all lies. All of it. So, Well, maybe, something I'm, I'm sure part of it isn't a lie, but uh, probably like 50%. Yeah, it was solid fifty. Yeah. I mean, but but you get a it. Good so, anyways, buckle up because you're going to get your learn on. Yeah. Um, I guess for a general description for anybody who doesn't happen to know what a katana is, um, it's basically a sharp, deadly metal banana. Yay. Um, with a not so drastic curve. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. No, unless you want to have like. Well, I mean, unless you're a sword eater, like you're a sword swallower, yeah, yeah, but I, you still don't eat it. That scares me, man. I've seen people do that. It gives me such anxiety. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I think of is don't sneeze, don't sneeze, don't oh, sneeze. Oh god, don't I sneeze. just uh, the whole thing. The whole thing is like there's so many bad things that could go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Nah. Mm-mm. But anyway, this, this deadly banana. So deadly banana. The reason for its curve. Uh, which a lot of people don't really seem to, you know, how it gets that, is actually due to its intense ritualized process that involves making the blade um, hard, uh, but the cutting edge, um, well, not the cutting edge, but the spine of it, soft, but very strong and durable. This careful process is done by folding the steel repeatedly uh, and selectively cooling different areas of the blade with a process known as... uh, Haman, which I might be butchering that. I'm not sure. It looks like Hammond. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's not pronounced Hammond, but... <laughs> ham on. Ham Get on. your ham on. <laughs> ham off. It's, it is H-A-M-O-N, If you're for those curious and want to Google it further. This ham on, which I'm going to butcher purposely now, mm-hmm. um, is what creates a wave design in a blade. So I don't know if you've ever seen... Uh, it's not so much depicted in like uh manga maybe in some anime if they decide to put the detail in it but there's always a subtle little wave texture yeah i was gonna say it's like along the blade if you see it like on a normal or on like an actual blade like it kind of looks like a it looks like a water texture almost on the blade yeah basically Mm -hmm. um but i guess i'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit uh let me talk about the history yeah uh as most of you know, it was probably it's well, it was favored by a samurai due to its lightweight and its portability. Mm-hmm. 
but it didn't actually start coming around until uh, around the late 13th century. Okay, so that's the 1200s. Yes. Okay. Each swordsmith put their heart and soul into every blade, uh, giving themselves a grandiose rep- reputation as a result. Uh, each smith strived to make the strongest and sharpest blade, uh, like the best tool out there, basically. Um, but as a result, many legends of strong, brave warriors came into fruition. That's how you get like the crazy. Well, what was that one that you were talking about a while back? Mm. We never talked about it on the show, but there was a. Uh... Yeah, I. I don't remember it offhand, which is terrible. But there was definitely one of my one of when we were talking about doing the show initially. I thought like maybe talking about some of these smiths in particular would be an interesting topic that we could go over like later on because there's definitely certain people that have like like written history about um and they were bladesmiths and i want to say masamune but that might be wrong um but there are definitely a few there are a few well-known names uh in japanese folklore um that's pretty widespread we'll eventually get that covered Mm -hmm. we'll start doing some of the more uh, interesting stories behind some of more specific blades. Yeah, we're talking and, like like we wanted to cover like general history first before we got into the detailed stuff. Because of this, uh, there was a lot of confusion over, um, you know, kind of what a katana is, like what defines a katana, because they're they typically were paired up with uh, a smaller companion known as the. Hang on, I'm going to try this. Wakazashi. I think I said that. That's right. probably close. Wakazashi. Close enough. Um, they were commonly carried with the katana. Um, like I said, it's much shorter, easier to keep on keep on hand mm-hmm. constantly. Uh, mostly because whenever you entered uh, a building, typically there was a rack specially designed for katanas, oh. and you would place it there as a sen- as basically a sign of respect. It's like, okay, this is going to be a more peaceful thing. Right, you're in a house. You're you're not. Uh, going to be aggressive in any way so you know it, it, it's sort of like it, it harkens back to you know we see a lot of tropes with like other like pirates or warriors or that sort of thing when everyone's coming into a place to just like talk and uh settle disputes uh it, you know it's like everyone check your weapons at the door sort of thing um yeah but you would still have something at least to right, defend yourself right. if worse came to worse right but it was more of a sign of respect and just a safe, a safer place. Put the big thing away. <laughs> yeah, it makes it harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but jumping ahead uh, several centuries, katanas were used in the military up to World War II, mainly by officers as a last resort. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was basically a symbol for uh, their heritage and their pride right. because it's it's such a deeply rooted thing in uh, in their history and the culture. Yeah. So that by that point, that's mainly what it was used mm-hmm. for. However, today, katanas are no longer used as weapons. Um, they're more decorative, I'm sure. Right. If anybody's gone to a convention, you've seen the you know cheapo swords that the weird dude is selling in the corner. Um, and you're like, hey, that looks really sweet. I want to buy that. And then you do. And then you find out it's flimsy. Right. But, I mean, you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, but... A lot of those swords are made by machines. There's only a handful of bladesmiths that still continue to do it the traditional way because it's been passed down through their family for generations. And 
sadly, as a result, it's becoming a dying art. Granted, they're transferring these techniques into more of the culinary knives and such. Oh, okay. But uh, it's kind of a hit and miss with that. That's an interesting reapplication that I never would have considered. Yeah, I've noticed it a lot for especially uh, sushi knives Mm. um, are taken very seriously in their craft. Mm -hmm. Mainly because you want to have something sharp enough that it can fillet, you know, fillet a fish with ease, but still be lightweight enough that you can you can use it for hours right right now that everybody has a little background um i'm gonna break down the process in a really fun way which is gonna be even great because i'm even more sleep deprived than i was when i wrote all this yeah so this is this is gonna be a fun one Mm. emily already knows (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about how these suckers are made katanas are traditionally made from tamagane uh which are basically iron sand deposits that are smelted into carbon steel. Uh, they're found with uh, different carbon contents, um, which each... There's basically broken down into three, and they're needed for specific parts of the blade. Mm-hmm. There's hagane, which is the high carbon, kawagane, which is medium, and shigane, which is low. Um, they all look like dryer lint, like all of them. Uh, some of them have specks of bright blue... Um, strange brown, te- like you, you don't, you really don't know where all this came from. Is, is the is, all- is the different coloration just from like the minerals inside of it? Like, so is it not a yeah. pure mix of carbon? No, it's not a pure mix at all. Okay, um, it's actually as we go further, as I explain it, it does get burned out. Mm, okay, all the impurities. Oh, all right. Um, you basically you you have these three wads of dryer lint. Mm-hmm. Um. And you fuse it together with uh, with the intense fire of your soul, or I mean, if you're still doing the real katana, you use they made a special cave-like forge, which which had like multiple layers of coal, mineral, sand, and it went on for several different layers, and I can't remember it exactly, um, and I couldn't find it. What's the difference between this sort of forge that they would use to make a katana and sort of a typical forge? It's the structure and also how it contained the heat. Oh, okay. Um, so if you used, for instance, a coal forge, uh, it's basically like a, a coal forge is, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a very primitive looking thing in comparison mm-hmm. to one of these forges. Oh, okay. Because you basically just make a mound of coal and then you stick the thing in there and you take you do a makeshift cave right it's not something that's you know it 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 will collapse on you it's something you have to keep building as you're working mm, okay the japanese actually had more like kilns sort of oh all right so this was had. sort of like a very dedicated type of heating forge or, or it was it was a dedicated forge versus i guess a more organic like this could collapse and you sort of keep rebuilding it and keep changing it forge like this was a dedicated yes. like we're making this thing in this cave. Like, yes. And other cultures had uh, something similar, mm. but uh, the Japanese actually were so very particular with it that it would actually take days for them to set it up proper wow. and to get the temperature right because they would be so specific with the material layers mm-hmm. that they had. Um, and I wish I could remember all of it, but this is, I'm remembering all of this from uh, the presentation I did ages ago. Right. With these, basically, ingots that you have, uh, you 
uh, heat it red hot. Um, well, not red hot. I guess it's more of a bright yellow kind of whitish color. Mm-hmm. And you essentially knead it with uh, a hammer or anvil. And to, like, depending on what design you're doing, how many layers affects that. Uh, so if you want, like, a really fine kind of designed texture in your blade, mm. you're going to be doing it a lot more, like, a lot more folding than you would be for something a little bit more simplistic. Uh, it's very but... interesting that you mentioned this method of, like, kneading, you know, sort of combining these drier lint wads of carbon and then, like, m- combining them together and, like, kneading that. It, like, because... And and I could be wrong in my mental image of it, but it reminds me of, like, how mochi is made. Because it's, like, you have a hammer and you're, like, constantly, like, kneading it and turning it and kneading it and turning it and hitting it and, like, you know, like, moving it around. And it's just interesting because that almost sounds like a similar process, but with carbon. Um, yeah. It's, but it's, it's like, that similar... same thing of, like... With the mochi, it's making, you know, it's making sure the rice is, like, evenly, like, the texture is even. And, and with this, it's, like, making sure that the carbon is even and the layers are being made. Yeah, it's, the processes are actually very similar now that you mention it. Mm-hmm. I never really connected the dots, but, um, I mean, obviously the mochi process is a lot faster than right. <laughs> than this and also you can but, eat mochi exactly <laughs> don't well, eat carbon I mean, you can eat it once yeah you can eat carbon <laughs> once <laughs> but you can eat mochi but, many times exactly but um during this process this is actually how uh the impurities are removed okay that we were talking about so like that weird bluish whatever mm. was in it at this point is has now been like he- heated out of it is it just burned um, off it's it's burnt it's a combination of burned off and between uh heating it and hammering it you always get scale that flakes off oh okay and it's also in that oh, too all right. um and as a result you improve the uh carbon content quality mm-hmm. um you're mixing the three different types uh into a wonderful play-doh mix it's wonderful it doesn't look gross like if you were to mix three colors of play-doh right. but I mean, it's still pretty and shiny. I imagine well, at that like point, modeling clay, but hot, and it would burn your hands off if you touched it. Yeah, and you can't turn it into spaghetti. Right. It's it's not the same. No. It's also you know not non toxic like play doh. Oh, that's true. So what do we do with yeah. this this little play doh uh, ball of car- carbon that we have now? Okay, well, now that your lint wad is now Play-Doh, um, it's formed into a single billet or a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter the style of forging, almost always the hardest carbon steel um, is on the outside or along the edge of um, what the sword is going to be, mm-hmm. while the spine in the center of it tends to be the softer carbon um, steel. Uh so, in other words, your banana skin is harder than the squishy goodness of your banana sword. Right, it's protecting it. Now that you have your loaf, uh, you kind of have to make it look like a banana by forming it with some good old, like, forming it and lathering it with some good old chocolate pudding. Or, you know, I mean, if we're still doing the sword and not this weird yeah. food abomination, yeah. you're using clay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I know they use this very specific clay for it and i can't remember the name of it Mm -hmm. 
but essentially you layer it on there and do uh, heating and quenching uh, back and forth. Okay. The clay allows it to, uh, it allows the steel structure to change. Since the metal is better insulated with the clay, it cools slower, making the steel both soft and strong. More clay is uh, placed along the spine or the mune, uh, as it's typically called, mm. uh, to keep it softer and flexible, while the edge has no clay, making it sharp yet brittle. Uh, this is when our ham-on, or wave texture, begins to appear on the, on the blade and uh, becomes a lot more visible at this point. Then after your heating and your quenching with your pudding, clay. it will naturally... <laughs> yeah, with your, with your pudding clay. Uh-huh. Uh, it w- <laughs> it'll begin to curve uh, because of how it's being heated. Since it's cooler along the edge of the blade and hotter along the spine it naturally will want to curve and this is because it's and this is because the spine is being covered with clay so it is can retain the heat longer for the most part right versus the edge is being exposed to air and that can start to cool quicker yes and the quenching which quenching if anybody doesn't know is you have the hot piece of iron and you you dip it in water so that it cools much faster mm, okay. and basically shocks shocks the steel, um, which can make it very brittle if you aren't careful right. about it. Um, and so because, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming is that because this edge is being exposed, like the way this is curving is because it's literally, like it's the steel itself is expanding as it cools. And since the inside and since the spine isn't cooling, it's starting to, it's, it forces it to curve. Yes, that's a, that's exactly what's happening. That's interesting. I never realized that. Yeah, I didn't really know that either until I was looking it up for this. I'm like, oh, here I thought they just like hammered the curve. Yeah, I just thought it was shaped. I didn't realize it was like a like a natural process from the formation yeah. of it. That's really that's really cool. Yeah, because you can actually get a curve uh, in a blade by hammering the edge, right. like forming the edge. And that like pushes, it basically pushes it so it curves a little bit, but not quite, I guess not quite as drastic as you would get with this heating treatment, mm-hmm. um, which I might have to try that out now that I know about it. So now you now you have your banana. Uh, from there, you get to clean it up, sand it, uh, using a bunch of different grits of sandpaper. That whole process is something else entirely let's i was kind of i was trying to understand it but they have so many different sharpening stones Mm. and things to that nature that it was overwhelming was it just a progression of it getting finer and finer and finer sort of thing yes and there are specific stones with that over time uh i'm trying to think what was in it there's there's a mineral inside of it that breaks down, making the sanding finer with every use. Mm-hmm. So, as basically, as the stone ages, the more use you get out of it, okay. it becomes better. Huh. Yeah, I thought that was very strange. That's really neat. But also really cool. Granted, those things cost like $1,000. Right, but that's looked. probably because they, they last so long. Yeah, it'll last. like a sanding belt or something. And obviously we're talking about, like, these are, like, ancient methods that are being used. Yes, and these stones are, like, they're 
you can get them today and they're like these strange colored i don't know like the one i was looking at actually had a red texture because i think it had a combination of some sort of clay in it oh it's interesting um from japan mm. so it's like a weird i don't know it's it was it's weird to describe it but you can look into it if you want to and maybe further along when we get more of a general history of blades i can get into more specifics mm-hmm. if you guys like um but essentially from here you have it all sanded uh and traditionally it was a bamboo handle that was wrapped with leather or some sort of cord and that you know that crisscross sort of pattern which i want to learn how to do that but i can't find any proper direction on how right, to do and it and i know it's like very particular yeah, if you do one wrong thing, then the whole thing just falls mm-hmm. apart. It's ridiculous. But um, if you're still running with this weird banana metaphor, uh, you just stab a popsicle stick at the end of it and make a sheath for it by dipping it into some molten hot chocolate. Just please don't eat this weird lint loaf Play-Doh banana <laughs> abomination. I, I do not recommend it. <laughs> Honestly, the more that I think about it, the, gr- the more grossed out I get. Yeah, here, but do you this want this is... linty banana? <laughs> here, I made it colorful Play-Doh. Yeah, ugh, oh. uh, uh, that's, a, that's gross. Small fun fact, Japanese smithing is the hardest technique in, the, in existence, mm. that, that we are aware of at least. Mm. Uh, it takes decades of practice to get a single technique down, essentially. Can you still, uh, like, I guess, go and, like, study? Like, are there people you could, like, study from sort of thing? Yes. Like, you mentioned this being a dying art. I'm like, I wonder if there's, like, a way, like, for more people to start getting, I guess, like, learning from, I guess, masters and that sort of thing. Yes. To my understanding, like, if you were to... So... Here in the United States, we have the SCA, which is Society of Creative and and Art... Anachronism. There it is. I can never say that for some reason. (laughs) Um, They essentially have, in Japan, something similar, but a much smaller version of it, Mm -hmm. and they go over traditional forging techniques. Oh, that's cool. But it's not it's not like on a grand scale or anything. Right. But you can go you can go to Japan and you can learn from master smiths mm. to kind of practice some of the uh, more I hate to say easier, but it's yeah I can imagine easier than what you can. It's really grueling. <laughs> yeah, and you're literally spending hours and hours and hours at a time because to keep the heat in these forges it's a very tedious and just it's such a particular thing Mm -hmm. everything is so precise that one wrong thing and essentially you have to start over the whole thing it's like baking you know one one wrong measurement and now and suddenly your bread won't rise or something like that yeah so it's it's such a particular thing mm. that it's extremely difficult, and perhaps that's why it's starting to die out. Uh, maybe it's just because people don't want to deal with that anymore. Right. It's easier to just use a machine. Right. But it's not the same quality. No. It's it's ob- it's very apparent when you use it, when you see it. It's just not the same quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure I'm so, sure you can you could sharpen a machine blade all you want, but it's not going to be the same type of sharpness that that handcrafted blade is going to get you. 
Yeah, and it's not going to have the same weight, the same feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, or probably the same longevity. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of the machine-made stuff is just, you know, your standard cheap whatever. Right. They can get a hold of. Steel, and, maybe, you know. Yeah, and just sheet. It's not even typically treated. Right. Um, so mm. it's run-of-the-mill fake sword. Right. It's not legit right. in any way, shape, or form. So that is sort of the overview on katanas then. Um, So now you can go into the world with that information. Um, Liz, do you have a blacksmith's tip of the week for us? Oh, God. Yes. So for Christmas, my mentor uh, got me... Dagashi, which is basically a weird, massive fun bag of different Japanese snacks. Mm-hmm. And there were a few that we looked at, and they're just like, wow, this is going to be really gro- gross. Let's save it for last. And so the day comes. <laughs> we're at the, the fated day. <laughs> and it, it's obviously some sort of fish. Oh. It's some dried fish oh, in a bag. That's never a good... Thing. And we're sitting here, we're looking at it, we're like, oh, 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 this isn't, this isn't going to be good. We, we open it up, it literally, the whole place, the whole shop starts to smell like a fish market. Oh, God. And we're like, are we going to really do this? We attempt to break it in half, and it's like this weird spongy crackle. Oh. And we're like, all right, let's do, we're, we're doing this yeah. now. This is, this is how it's happening. We, we both, we both bite into it. Mm-hmm. It's fishy. Mm-hmm. It's rotten fishy. <gasps> oh, no. It's it's unbearable. We're sitting there. We're just like, I can't. I can't. I literally, I spit it out into the trash can. I rinse my mouth out. He's he's still trying. He's still. God bless he him. He still has it in his mouth. And then there there's a moment where he stops. <gasps> there's just a solid moment where, like, something has pierced his soul. Oh, no. He just freezes. And you see this that panic gesture and then i literally just i slide the trash can across the room towards him and you see you just see this like a little turd and oh no it was it was gross but the story only gets better because long story short i had to go dumpster diving because we lost a thing and oh, no. guess what I found oh, in my dumpster no. diving? Oh, it came back. It did. Ca- you thought it was gross the first oh, time. Imagine oh, imagine it like being outside and rotting and yeah. <laughs> and thawing and cooling and thawing oh, and cooling. Gosh. It had become a weird because it, we had spit it out like this weird mo- like mound oh, of oh, oh. like. No. I don't even know how to describe Gross. the texture because it it looks like it was soft and could just cave in at any given moment, uh, but you could throw that thing like a hockey puck. Oh, ew, gosh. <laughs> so and upon further investigation, I found out it wasn't fish; it was eel. Okay, yeah. And it was gross. Yeah, that sounds gross. So needless to say, friends, <laughs> be adventurous, but maybe don't be that adventurous. <laughs> Yeah, like take <laughs> caution in your in your new experiences for 2017. 
just just stick to the the, the potato puffs that that taste like potato soup. Yeah. Because oh my god, those are so good. Oh. And oh oh, don't eat but the dry fish. Avoid the <laughs> weird eel thing. <laughs> so, on that note. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audio Armory. We hope that we've taught you something that you might not have known before. Um, I'd like to thank Samantha Hogan, who provided our intro and outro music. You can find her work at samanthahogan.com, um, and she's also on Twitter, at shogan underscore composer. I think that's it. Yes. Um, you can find us on Twitter, um, you can find, uh, like, we have a podcast Twitter, which is at Audio Armory Cast, and you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Corrupted Gem. Liz is at Liz Belts. That's Liz with two Zs. And you can, if you have any questions or suggestions for uh, future episodes, you can email us at Audio Armory Cast or Audio Armory Cast at gmail.com. I'm getting my Twitters and my emails confused. Um, and we're also on iTunes, so if you want to rate and leave a review there, that, like, helps, you know, other people find the show. And even just telling other people about the show, like, word of mouth is super helpful. Um, and we really appreciate it. And we'll see you in two weeks. Um, and until that time, I have been and always will be your illustrious bard, Emily Cardamus. And I will always be, but not forever be, your plague-induced blacksmith. You want to say your name? No. No, say your name. Do the outro I'm right. I'm Liz Belts. Do the outro right. <laughs> take it from the top. Do the outro right. And I will forever be your local blacksmith, Liz Belts. And uh, until next time, don't throw rocks at birds. Also, don't eat weird banana abominations. Don't do that either. And don't feed those to birds. No.